Good morning, and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lishenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smoridge, and joining us are our panel of Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, Kendra Brown, DQ, and Johanna Hopf-Gardner. This is episode 38, where we'll be taking a look at lines 102 and 109 of the Zertel on Vinden. But first of all, what have you been up to since the last recording? Joey? I've gotten one step closer to my um, national certification of becoming a sports instructor in Austria. I have Ooh. passed both the theoretical, yeah, I've passed both the theoretical and the practical exam. They were both last weekend. No, the Did only part, part that's remaining is, yeah, oh, it was all online, assuming that was your question. <laughs> Um, they were all on online, so an online uh, theoretical exam and an online practical exam, which was funny <laughs> because I had to to hold a uh, practice session um, online in front of other hemists. Uh, I did a lesson on the first play in Peter von Danzig's Rossfechten in the sword. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, the, f- the first piece in the sword part in Peter von Danzig's, or Pseudo von Danzig's, um, Ross Fechten section, and some guards. And it was super fun because we pretended our horses are actually our chairs. Hmm. But it, it was fun. <laughs> it was something different. So, the only part that's remaining is t- I need to hand in a lesson plan of a. I don't know, of some theoretical uh, practice session on Stärke und Schwäche, I think, so uh, strength and weakness. And I don't have a deadline. <laughs> and I'm no super bad when it, it comes. To, yeah. <laughs> I, I have no reason to do it, no. So I will take my time <laughs> yeah, until I can bring myself to do it. And then afterwards, I am hopefully a nationally certified um, Austrian HEMA instructor. Yeah. <laughs> this means, I believe, you are more qualified than the rest of the panel for teaching HEMA put together. So, good work. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Kendra, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? I have been looking at books of hours and the calendar pages to see what kind of pictures there are of medieval people using tools and doing regular stuff. Just doing regular medieval people things. (laughs) Yep. My favorite is a guy who is walking with his herd of sheep and appears to be also reading a very small book at the same time. Is he about to walk into a medieval lamppost? No. He's (laughs) surrounded by his sheep. They'll kind of buffer him. Do you think he's reading to his sheep? Uh, what's that, Steve? Do you think he's reading to his sheep? He might be. Reading out loud was apparently quite common. If I had sheep, I'd probably read to him. <laughs> I did at one point while in school try to uh, read while cycling home, which didn't go super well. <laughs> I can believe that. You did a herd of sheep to buffer you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it would have probably gone better than the cars. <laughs> no idea. Uh, Mike, Michael Chittister, what, what, what's been going on in the world of HEMA Bookshelf? Oh, what have I been doing? Um, well, 
in the world of Hema Bookshelf, we're gearing up for the Le Kuchner facsimile pre-orders, which Ooh. might start next week. I was astonished and dismayed at how much it's going to cost to produce an exacting replica, um, where we actually do beech wood covers and we replicate the choir structure and we do the edge gilding. And it would be a very fancy, very impressive book. It's also 446 pages long, which means that it's going to be a very thick book. And it was, and but the best price I could figure out for that would be about 350 bucks. So this week I've been talking to my publisher or my, my the bindery about making a cheaper version that will not be as fancy, but will still have the high resolution scans and so on. Um, and so we're going to do a, a sort of two level publication of this. So if you want the version that's almost indistinguishable from the original manuscript. It's going to be, well, still extremely cheap on the scale of facsimiles, but very expensive on the scale of books. And if you and if you can't afford that, then there'll be one in a, at about two hundred dollars that will be just a very nice reproduction of the scans in a very nice cover, um, and hopefully still satisfying for a lot of people. Uh, so that's going to happen probably over the course of February. We'll be raising money um, to. Make those books, and I also just published my revised three two two seven a longsword translation um, as of yesterday, um, which is now available on Lulu and Amazon. This, this is will the not fans- be yesterday by the time you listen to this podcast, right? I I've published it at the end of January. I don't know when this is going to go out, um, but I I've the uh, the fancy version that has. All of these scans of 3227A released at their at their actual size, along with transcription by Diakagadon and my translation, is currently up. And soon I'm going to put out the equivalent revision for the little tiny pocket book that only has the translation in it, analogous to Harry Ridgway's Donzig translation in sort of its size and scope since T and other people requested a version they could throw into their gym bag and not have to worry about damaging. So that'll come out in a couple days when I make when I finish making the document. Sweet. Looking forward to it. And there's Wicked Hour stuff going on, but nothing really finished yet. My whole life is oh. just doing random human projects at the moment. And there are worse ways to live. Awesome. We'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Steve, what's been up in the world of Steve? Not too much. Nothing real specific HEMA related. Just kind of the usual stuff, but no real specific projects. Yeah. No charts? Nope. No charts. Move on. Steve land. Steve, what have you been up to? (laughs) Uh, I've been reading, although I haven't yet finished, uh, Nick Winkleman's The Language of Coaching, uh, which I highly recommend, uh, at least so far. I mean, maybe it gets rubbish in the second half, but the first half's really good. Um, It's focused on attention, um, the process of motor learning, and how to communicate as a coach in a way that optimizes the ability for your athlete or your student to learn the thing you're trying to teach them and to to implement the, the advice you're trying to give them. So should be really valuable when actual fencing coaching becomes possible again. 
and I recommend it. Um, what have I been up to? I've been doing some actual fencing coaching. <laughs> um, yeah, so we kind of like came back from our, our summer break and uh, I helped so Stooge for Adrian's Longsword class, ran a, a mock tournament because we've got our summer tournament in about a month's time and it will help the staff get used to the software and trying to work out timings because that affects pool sizes and things. And we've had some community transmission cases of COVID again. So, Yeti's tournament's getting cancelled. Probably. Who knows, by the time this comes out, we'll know for sure. Oh no, right. I thought New Zealand was a bastion. Uh, it is, but it turns out that a woman that uh, was in managed isolation for two weeks and had two negative cases, caught it on her way out of the door. But fortunately, she was pretty religiously using the Tracer app and signing into places, so um, it's been pretty easy to, what's the word, to trace all of the, the community cases so far. So we're not yet in lockdown. Turns out that being a COVID bastion requires lots and lots of lockdown, just very short. Yeah, and it also requires mm, government-run isolation for people entering the country. Yeah. And probably yeah, people to... being cooperative. Yeah. Most likely. Who knows? Uh, this has yeah. been the COVID podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get on with this. Uh, lines 101, 102 even, to 109 on Vinden. Joey, could you give us the German? I will try. Wer wohl führet und recht bricht, und endlich gab Bericht, und bricht besunder, jeglichs in drei Wunder. Wer recht wohl hänget, und Winden damit bringet, und Winden acht, mit rechten Wegen betracht, und zu ihr eine. Der Winden selbst tritt, ich meine. So sind ihr zwanzig, und vier zählt sie einzig, von beiden Seiten, acht Winden leere mit Schreiten, und prüft die Gefährten nicht mehr, nur weich oder hart. Thank you very much. We've been doing like little couplets, and then suddenly we just drop in half of the Silmarillion on your plate. <lacht> <lacht> Thank you. Uh, Steve, could you give us Hazard's translation? All right, here we go. If you lead well and counter right, and finally, it's in your sight. If you divide things as they are into three wounders, each apart, hang the point in true and fair, turn your sword, then well from there. And eight turns there are, if you rightly regard, and each turn of the blade into three can be made. 24 can be named, though they're one in the same. On both sides, this concerns. Learn to step with eight turns. Break the bind, I implore, soft or hard, and nothing more. Thank you very much. This, this really reminds me of one of those puzzles where it's like, <laughs> uh, a man comes from Birmingham in a car. In his car, he has three bags. Each bag has 12, 12 uh, I don't know, 12 pieces of shopping in. How many receipts does he have? 
Yeah, it is very much like it feels a bit like a riddle. So I guess I think the... it's beautiful. <laughs> so where do we start with this? So three wounders. We've heard them before, haven't we, in the intro? You hear this stuff. A lot of this stuff is callbacks in various ways, or like implicit callbacks. Um, There's some lines in the Zornhow that are that mirrors a lot of this stuff, I think. Yeah. I think something which is interesting to talk about quite early here is the idea that the windings are counters or breaks. Um, I think the German word is bricht. Um, uh, I know Steve translates it as counters in his book. Um, and you see various counter, various translations used. Um, and back uh, way back in the Zornhau, there's a section where it talks about there's only like three ways to start an engagement or three ways that are recommended to start an engagement, which are uh, chasing or well, pursuing, uh, shooting the point, and winding. Um, and the idea that the windings are counters, I think, plays into how that section should be interpreted, where the shooting and chasing are the ways you initiate the engagement when the other person is not attacking you while winding is the thing you do if they are attacking you, basically. Um, so the text and if is they pretty, clear, pretty clear there. It says from the onset, you either use pursuit or you shoot the point. And from the binding of the, from the bind of swords, you use winding. So Yeah. So if they if they go first, you bind and wind. And if they try and bind and wind without going for like while going first, then you do the shield house stuff, i.e. you change through and stick them somewhere else. Makes sense to me. So looking at I mean I did just make it up, but looking at it's good the, that it makes sense. <laughs> looking at the text sort of structurally, we we see just like in the last section, this is sort of mirroring the very beginning of the Tzedel and the gloss. So we have the general lesson in the Zornhau, um, and then what after the Zornhau, in the Zornhau section is where we get our first lesson on winding. And so here we get the Spreck Fenster and Long Point, and then once again, it's rolling back into winding to sort of amplify and expand on those lessons. So you get a taste of what winding is in the Zornhau, and then it's just sort of implied from there on. It tells you to wind, but doesn't really explain anything until we get here, but we're finally recovering winding again with more detail um, and just so many more verses. So there's, there's a basic symmetry to the way this the, the whole title is set up in that way. The middle part is less symmetrical, but the beginning and the end are sort of fitting together very nicely. Yeah, it's the Zorn the, the um is section is a little bit interesting because you know you get all the set piece plays of you know hue in the torn how wrath hue point and then you know take away in the wind and then it get it gets into some theoretical stuff and the theoretical stuff kind of maybe lacks a little bit of context which i guess is filled in more later and then the winding section here reiterates a lot of that stuff so you get things like, you know, um, the three wounders there, uh, feeling soft and hard, uh, the idea of, like, not rushing your war. Yeah, you know, the hanging that we've just been talking about, haven't we? Sure, yeah, hanging. That's a thing, too. 
Or is it time for etymology lesson or entomology lesson? My first cup of tea, just, I'm not firing on all cylinders, yeah. leave me alone. But why would I do <laughs> that when I can me. make fun of you? It's not hard. So right. we were looking at the etymology, <laughs> about the origins of the word Winden <laughs> um, in order to find out new possible uh, translation for for winden right like like spool or something and i found out that winden is actually a pretty old word from old high german wintern so it's even in old high german it's in middle high german i think it's winden there as well um and yeah it's winden also in middle dutch and oh, old english windan oh okay um, and it's related to the modern English to wind. So I think in the end we agreed that winding is actually the best translation. But I think the other translations we came up with was to 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 spool or to coil, right? Let me yeah, because that's yeah, because yeah. that's what it usually meant. Yeah, I Steve, remember when yeah when we were talking about this. Um, at first, during our conversation, I was like, yeah, I think we can, you know, there's probably, like, better translations than wind. And, like, we were looking <laughs> at spool and coil and, you know, all that, like, what a snake does and, you know, all that good stuff. And then by the end of the conversation, I kind of went back to maybe winding is the best one. Right. The problem is that winding has meanings in, in English and Wienden has meanings in German that are very clear. But, when, but for some reason, when we talk about winding, people don't go to the obvious, easy definitions of them, and they make up convoluted explanations of what winding is. So it turns into this strange, cryptic word, even though it's not at all cryptic. If we were to use it in literally any other context, we'd know exactly what we were talking about. So people, what pe many people in HEMA seem like they want winding to be complicated and esoteric. When really it's it's not at all. Yeah, I've I've certainly interpreted it as just a magic woo woo word that makes your fencing happen. Right, but if, if I were to tell you to wind up almost anything else, you know, like a rope or something, you yeah. wouldn't have to stop yeah, and contemplate deeply what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, winding yeah. is a magic woo woo word you can use to make sure that tournament fencers aren't doing real hema. That's the only purpose of it. So, so is it literally just like moving from plow on one side to plow in the other? All right, should we talk about what? Oh, wait. No, no. no let's 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 go back into the. So, so Harry in his book likes to translate it as turn, which I find compelling. Not because winding is incorrect, even though for a while I thought it was, but we proved recently that winding is totally legitimate as a translation, but because it shakes you out of the woo-woo mindset. And if you just are told to turn your sword, then that's an action someone will just do without thinking about it. And I kind of like that translation purely for that reason. It does run afoul of the other verb, venden, which is used a lot in 3227A and almost not at all in RDL. Um, but that also means to turn. And so, by the way, does Kevin, yes. which is used in the Scheidelhau and nowhere else in RDL. Um, and in the Verkehrer. 
and oh, yeah. in... it, it, it's a yeah a prefix a separable prefix usage of it um, and i think it's used somewhere else but i can't remember where it is offhand the phrase to overturn i think appears in spire a few times i don't remember if that has karen in it but i bet it, it would but the, the word, the unmodified Kellen is only used in the Scheidelhau when you're told to turn your point against his chest, or with its turn, it endangers the chest. And that's in the title and in the gloss. Um, but yeah, so we have several different words that all could be simplified to turning, but they seem to describe different kinds of turning, which is great for Germans who have all those words and not so great for English speakers who kind of only have the one word that means turn which brings us back to winding and leaves us without any answers to the difference and venden joey i i would say that karen i, I would say that karen and venden are, are pretty similar and turn would fit as a translation for karen and venden but not really for winden does does turn have the the meaning of the 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 snaky thing the the circuit and yeah movements? yeah it, it does um oh, so it, it does uh, okay a, a clock hand turns around the clock face yeah or like, I, wouldn't, uh, I would never say a snake is is turning up though if it's coiling no no okay so so let's say you're coiling rope around a winch you put five turns on it yeah mm-hmm. it's definitely related to that action but coiling yeah, is still, uh, it, I think, the more common way of expressing it. Like, I, I think coiling is more precise. But yeah, like um, you can't turn a rope up. I don't think. No, but uh, you put turn. But you can. You can like, you coil five turns of a rope. That's definitely a thing. The the things which you make by coiling a rope. That sounds like a British turns. thing. To how, me. About, how about this? I think turning is something that you do to wind something. Yeah, that. So that's like what like, I was grasping at. If you uh, want to wind a clock, you turn the thing, right? But turning the key would wind the clock. Right, yeah. Or, you know, wind up like a wind-up racer toy. <laughs> Joey just made a, a, an exasperated expression. But wait, so would you would you vend in the key in order to vend in the clock? <laughs> Joey just made put a very good face in her hand. <laughs> This is too much English. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, maybe maybe this um, is, that's enough rabbit hole for that. Sorry, Kendra. Oh, what, no, one wait, more there's thing. a little more. <laughs> Two more ahead, things, Steve. I guess. Well, I was just going to say there's um, in the Tver how some versions of RDL say uh, so the part where you're turning your sword so your thumb comes comes under. Some bosses say vend and some say vind. So. The thing is, like, (laughs) apart from that one line saying that one of these is Karen, one of these is Vinden, one of them is uh, Venden or whatever, then in English, like, wind and wend are just synonyms normally used, like, poetically. Well, wend is a super obsolete word in English. Um, You'd only see it used for archaic poetic purposes, basically. And and vend, I think, and means take a circuitous route. route. Yeah. Yeah. Like wind your way. Um, yeah, but also a road can wind. Yeah. Yeah, winding road. So there's also an interesting linguistic thing there where vended and vended, I, th- I believe, change place, change meanings more or less between 
Middle and Early New High German, where um, they're they sort of, they don't actually reverse, but their their meanings shift in such a way that they sort of replace each other, which means that that could be still a squishy word in this time period, where Vinden and Venden are being used interchangeably, even if they're not actually interchangeable, because people who speak languages are never as good at them as people who write down how to speak languages. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if some of the Vinden Venden confusion between texts is just people who are writing the way they talk. And the way they talk is not as precise as we want it to be. Mate, I've seen their spelling. <laughs> yeah. Here, here we go. Look at this line here where, like, it's got two lines that start in Vinden, and one of them they've just squiggled out the E. Lazy <laughs> bloody scribes. Can't get the workers anywhere. Well, I think, I think Kendra had something. Yes, I have. Well, in medieval yes. Germany? Um, so in the in the German class, it does say Krieg is winding. So there's that connection. But yeah, Krieg is of hardware on a large construction crane or in a ballista, which instead of bending a bow like on a crossbow, tightens a rope. We weren't able to figure out if one of these was the most common meaning at the time, but it's a really interesting connection that's completely not obvious. The other linguistic thing I can offer is, in Latin, this is intorsionibus, or intorsio. And there's a whole family of words that have that torsio in the middle. And so there's intorsio and contorsio and so forth. And digging into what could that mean? Torsio on the surface means turn and twist, and things like that. But by the medieval period, it had gained specific meanings with some of the prefixes, but not others, where it's also used for curling your hair with a curling iron, or twirling your hair like you're fidgeting in your board, or throwing a grenade at someone, or rolling your eyes at them, or one more, cooking bacon. Oh, um, wait, what? <laughs> the bacon thing <laughs> is, wrinkles up. is from ex by extension with the curling iron, um, either because of the way it the bacon itself smokes and curls up, or because of the hand gesture you use to flip your pieces of bacon over. Um, which is interesting that all of these things are movements that are fairly specific. And I don't like if you if you squint, you can sort of see each of them as possible things you can do with the sword. Throwing a grenade's a bit of a stretch. But, um, but there's a sort of like up and over movement that's in all of those, or a turning around a central axis in some of them. So um, we decided that for the Latin lev, at least right now, we rendered this as twirling. Twirl your sword. <laughs> that's fun. Twirl is definitely a nice translation. You One see, of the I, things I was playing yeah. with like torque for a while because torque is like turning with force, turning something around, but wind is easier or turn is easier. So I think the other question, which is often not really addressed, or I guess which we should talk about next, or at least I think we should talk about next, is what are you actually turning or winding or torquing or twirling or something? 
like we we mentioned in the one or two episodes ago when we were talking about the hangings that going from one hanging a lower hanging to an upper hanging is not described as winding when they're on the same side so i was playing around for a while with the idea with an idea where winding referred to the turning of the body of your like of you as a person that you do when you move from one side to the other um and it changes your lead side and so on um maybe we and should that's uh, obviously sorry go maybe, on. maybe we should maybe we should go um read like take a look at some of the glosses first before we dive into that maybe i guess so we know what we're dealing with <laughs> you can finish your thought you can finish your thought but like the, the the underlying point would be that what you are turning can be a pretty major difference in how you would interpret the same instruction. Like if I tell someone to turn their sword, and if I tell someone to turn their body, they're going to do very different things, even though I've used the same verb, because I've told them to apply that verb to a different object. Um, turning your sword might be an edge flip or a, like a cut or something, whereas turning your body is going to be some sort of like step or twist of the hips or whatever. If somebody told me to twirl my sword, I'll probably do some kind of moulinet. Like some Darth Maul stuff. Um, yeah. Whereas <laughs> if somebody told me to twirl myself, I think they were being rude. <laughs> twirl. I, like I a, just uh... found something. Yeah. Hey. Can I interrupt? Yeah, yeah, yes. I You have interrupted, Joey. <laughs> okay. with it. I had a look. Yeah, okay, good. <clears throat> I'm not sorry. Okay. I had a look um, at the etymological uh, dictionary and I had a look at Wenden. So, not Winden, uh, Winden, because I forgot about Wenden. So, now I had a look at Wenden and it says um, that it's the causative form of Winden. And I don't know who said it, but someone of you guys said that <laughs> turn means to to make something wind. I don't know who was Turning it. Turning the key to um, wind the clock, right? Yeah, but it's basically what's uh, what the dictionary says. So yes. Wenden Sports. originally <laughs> meant um, Winden machen. So, uh, so it's to, to to make something wind, yeah. Make turn, no, yeah, maybe make, make wind, yeah, make wind. So they only say it's the causative uh, form of wine uh, of winden, and therefore, yeah, it's causing something to wind, winden turn. What? Okay, one of you guys said it, and it's true. <laughs> this is a big brain moment here. Score. <laughs> We solved it. Guessing. Episode over. Job done. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Good night. Actually, that's. I think. I think that actually, like, could you know, be actionable. <laughs> I think that actually is a a yeah, cool thing to know. <laughs> that yeah, I'm gonna write this down so that I don't forget about it. Me too. Actually, I have to make a mental note. Maybe when I uh, edit this episode, then I'll write it down. <laughs> in like three weeks from now. <laughs> there we go. All right, maybe we should. Um, maybe we should look Idiot. at the uh, oh. lost now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll do some talking then, shall I? All right. So, 
It looks like all of them start with pretty much the same introduction. Gloss. This is a lesson and an admonition of hanging and winding with the sword. Herein the art of the recital is skillfully understood. It is taught like this so that you shall be quite well practiced and accomplished in the art. Also, so that you can appropriately drive any attack and play according to that which you fence with, so that you therefore correctly know how to drive your counters against his plays, so that you may work with the three wounders from each particular counter. And then there's a little one here. Which book is it in? Is it in any of them? Oh yeah, it's in most of the glosses. When you stand in the ox above on either side, these are the two upper hangers, hangings. And in the plough below on either side, these are the two lower hangings. Hang properly upon the sword, and from the four hangings bring eight windings, four from the ox and four from the plough. And further consider and correctly weigh the same eight windings, so that from each particular winding you drive three wounders, that is, a stroke, a thrust, and a slice. And there's our maths problem again. Shall I keep going? Uh, so Ringek has an extra bit here. Yep. Uh, Ringek goes, likewise, understand it like this. There are four bindings on of the sword, two over and two under, and you shall only drive two particular windings from each of the binding on the sword. Likewise, there are four binds of the sword, two over and two under, and only drive two winds from each particular bind of the sword. Does that add value to this? That's the same paragraph twice. I wonder what happened there. I bet you copied Glasgow and Dresden separately. Oh, something sure. Like like Shall I keep going? Because I think there's a variation between Glasgow and Dresden here. Yeah, go on. Uh, we could let's talk about this part first, unless we want to get yep, into sure. the nitty gritty. Let's let's keep going. Let's talk, let's about, talk about this, this part first. So. Four bindings of the sword, eh? Sounds a lot like I-33 to me. Does I-133 have binds of the sword? I think so, if I recall correctly. <laughs> I don't think I've read it in uh, 10 years. The most frequently repeated line in 133 is the one who binds and the one who is bound are contrary and irate. Brad, but does it have four binds of the sword? I thought it I did, two overbinds and two underbinds. You've got the book. I'm not going to go read the book right now. We're in a podcast. Doesn't um, stop anyone else. Um, <laughs> the other obvious, the other obvious interesting parallel for four bindings, um, especially too high, too low, or too over, too under, or whatever, is Colner effect book, which is, as a random aside, I'm told still exists, but has not been recatalogued re since the library was like destroyed by World War II. So it's literally in a pile of uncatalogued books, and someone saw it there. So now um, World War II, there was a giant flood. It was like a 10 flood, years ago. yeah, that was it. Um, um, and for a while, they thought it was destroyed. But then some random Hino person posted a picture of them personally cleaning off the book as part of the library rescue and said, don't worry, it's safe. But yeah, but yeah if, no one has seen it since then, besides that guy. It still hasn't like been resurfaced since, but it still exists. So that's pretty cool. Um, doing better than the copy of Meyer I tried to get out of the British Library. Um, where anyway, so Colner has four bindings on where two of them are over and two of them are under. And it's not super clear about what those mean, but they're an interesting parallel as well. Um, I think yeah. we can kind of imply what it means here, though. Two bindings so the, the in obvious... and two in plow. 
Yeah, the, the obvious parallel would be to the four hangers and just be one of your binding and one of the hangers. Although it's curious that no one but Ringak brings this up. Um, and they all talk about just the hangers, but don't mention how they bind. So I don't know if Ringak is adding an extra idea into this or if he's just rephrasing the teaching about the four hangers. Ringak does like to throw in extra bits sometimes. So the four binds of the sword would be almost like the four basic parries where you sort of parry point up or point down, I, I believe. Um, but you bind with the opponent's sword on the outside of yours on either side. Yeah. That's how Fulton represents it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I guess it's kind of... So there's, I guess, the other way in my head that I would potentially categorize four bindings would be like binding with both points up versus binding with both points down. It doesn't seem like that's what they're talking about. Seems like in both cases, both points are up, but your sword's either high or low. But I could be wrong. Well, if it's two point up and two point down, then that could that that might be just oxen plow in a different disguise, I guess. Is this um, talking about inside and outside binds at all, or is it just not yet? Not, yet. not clearly. I would go with that. Yeah, but the um, whole thing's not clear. Otherwise, we wouldn't be mumbling to our audience. Yeah. It, so it it doesn't say anything about inside or outside. It only says over or under. Um, you can read it whichever way you like, I guess. Um, no, I'm my, my short answer to that question. Einwinden and Ausvinden are humanisms. We should definitely talk about Ausvinden before we finish this episode. Sure. <laughs> oh God. Because they aren't Hemaisms. They do actually exist. But the way people use them in Hema is not related or inspired by the places where they actually exist. Yes. They had a, the an independent origin that happened to match something that exists. Ausvinden is very happening. common with some people who've been around in Hema for a long time. They forget that there's a difference there. So when people are told to Vinden Aus in the text, what does it mean by that? Um, so I guess we're going to do this now. Um, yeah, the, oh yeah, wind in and wind out are used in Meyer um, and probably in a few other places. Uh, but in Meyer, he generally uses wind in for the process of turning your point in when your hilt is out, which is what modern Hema would call an Ausvinden, where you like you go around their sword and hook your point back in. And he uses wind out to discuss the idea of pushing your hilt through and taking their point out, which is what we would call an Einvinden. Um, so he's using the terms in exactly the opposite direction. Um, the modern version of Einwinden and Auswinden, uh, Matt Gallus took credit for in an argument I had with him recently. So you can blame him for the mice guess, but they don't exist um, under this meaning in the original sources. They are literally a modern interpretation. Um, and the reason, that's, the reason that's really important to emphasize, just to wrap for a moment longer, is that they include a bunch of implicit ideas about one winding being kind of forceful and one winding being yielding and so on that have been baked into the understanding of what people mean by winding in and winding out. And that is not necessarily present in the original glosses. It isn't like written into them or anything, but yeah. it's something that becomes a very key part of interpretations. And so if you show someone something which looks kind of like an Auswinden, but doesn't like 
they'll say, oh, well, you can't, that can't be what it means because that has to be a yielding action. But the, the yielding action isn't in the text. The whole yielding thing is literally a modern interpretation that has been baked into how, the, how this term is understood now. Yeah. So be clear about it, where your terminology comes from. It makes sense if we, um, if we consider like the, the wind and be a turn of the body. If I told you, all right, here we are in this bind, now turn your body out, you'd move your body away from the center, which would get you the angulation. Whereas if I told you to move your body in, you'd move it towards the center. Yeah, I mean, maybe. And like that's so that's a perfectly valid way to split up the two windings, right? You can, you're, we're told, we're, or we're about to be told, you can do two windings from any particular binding or hanging, and one of them goes one way, and one of them goes the other. And like they're, they're in opposition to each other in some way. And a definite, an idea where they are pushing through or yielding outside or whatever is a perfectly valid version, but it's not the only version. And the way Einwinden and Auswinden are used in modern interpretation a lot tends to treat them as like tends to create this idea where going you're yielding to your opponent's strength yeah by... and, and and like where that is implicitly the only interpretation of it that's the that's the particular thing i want to emphasize here that like you can interpret it that way and you can construct a logical coherent structure based on the idea but that is a modern logical structure imposed upon the gloss it is not a structure taken from the gloss right. so an alternate interpretation which doesn't use that structure is not inconsistent with the text. It is merely inconsistent with a modern headcanon of the text. And the, the big problem is when you use terms like Auswinden and Einwinden, what you're trying to do is borrow the authority of the text to give support to your idea. You're basically trying to convince people that what you're teaching is part of the text by giving it a fake German name. And this is something I see a lot of teachers in HEMA do periodically, is they'll latch onto a German word and use it as and, and use it to explain their interpretations as though they're quoting the text when in fact they're just making shit up. That um, makes sense to them. It might be what the text is talking about, right? It's not like they're making up just complete bullshit, but they're but they're still inventing an idea, giving it a fake German name, and then everybody else hears it and assumes that there's more authority to it than there actually is. So yeah, this... and that's a problem because it holds everyone back from considering alternatives. Yeah, this More is the that. thing. It's just bad history. Yeah. 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 Th this is like the core thing about Auswinden in particular, like as a term, is that like the idea of a yielding outward winding where you go around the, the sword is a legitimate interpretation and idea. But the attachment of that to the term Auswinden in the English speaking HEMA community, if you're a, Ger a German speaker, like, and you're teaching a German, then fair enough, you're going to use German terms for everything because that's the language you're teaching in. You know, I'm not going to argue with someone who's teaching in German using German words. But um, in English, generally, the use of German words is intended to, is quoting like a technical term from the text, right? And when it's a technical term which doesn't exist, it becomes a way to impose, to like encode a modern interpretation as canon um, that isn't necessarily I true. I think the... The, the kind of thing that clicked for me with this was that with the the Auswinden as yielding to pressure thing, that means that when you're fencing, you're not trying to angle around unless you're feeling that pressure, which really limits you because if you if you ignore that and just like it's just a movement, um, 
then there are tons of times where somebody might be have their sword in the middle and you have an opportunity due to the time and the distance to nail them around it without needing that pressure going in. Yeah, and similarly, you can do actions which look kind of like they are Ausfinden, but are not yielding to pressure at all. Like if you push straight up and forward and catch with your crossguard as you do so, you're not yielding to their pressure. You're actually actively moving around and controlling their sword. But you're on the side of their sword, which is the Ausfinden side. And so a lot of people, if they look at you, if they see you do that, will think, why are you yielding to pressure here? You're supposed to be being stronger or whatever. Um, you could even say that what you're doing is you're negating their pressure by ignoring it. Yeah. And just taking it out of the equation. Yeah. Anyway, Steve, I cut you off like five minutes ago. What were you trying to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think Auswinden is even in fire. I think only Einwinden is there. Oh, Maybe. I mean, I've... I've been told by a Myris that there's like an instruction to wind out at some point where what you're doing is like pushing your hilt across to shove their point somewhere away. Like you're you're taking their point out of out is the I thing you're winding out. I think it's one of those separable prefix things where he tells you to vind aus as just a throwaway instruction, and there's no section called ausbinden. Well, I mean that's yeah. neither here here nor there, but you know, it's better in my heart if there is no ausbinden at all. There is in, in your Wilhelm, he uses Ausbinden once, but it's not really clear what he's talking about. But that that's the other other problem with this, is that if you misappropriate a term to apply to your interpretation, then if that term actually occurs somewhere, somewhere else, everybody who knows your interpretation is going to immediately try to misread the text, and it's going to suddenly become an obstacle to understanding what they're talking about. Isn't there a description somewhere where a wind else is used for like a disarm where you twist their sword out of their hands? I think that's what it's doing in Wilhelm, isn't it? Like you're you're turning their sword out of their hands, right? You wind it out of their hands, which is a totally reasonable phrase. That's that's one possible interpretation, but it's one of those cases where the text basically says do what's in the picture, and the picture is you know, not very clear. So <laughs> the picture is a bad woodcut of a birdman fighting a guy in armor. Yeah, yeah it's it's basically. Um, Difficult to really say exactly what he means by it. Yeah. Um, what, I, what, what, what I uh, interpret it as is moving in such a way that you leave the bind, winding out of a bind. But yeah, maybe. It, might not be the, it may or may not be the case. It also might be winding the sword out of their hands. Who knows? It's here to go home. The other thing which is worth noting just super quickly while I'm on this rant, because this is the rant I wanted to have on this episode for a couple of months at least, um, is that there is the term Einwinden in the section we're about to quote. Um, but that is not wind in, it is first winding, like number one winding. Um, but this can be confused with wind in if you read German uh, yeah, without like this is a any significant amount of influencing. Yeah, it's like this is the first winding, here's another winding, as opposed to this is the inward winding, this is the outward winding. It's not a direction, it's a number. So, you know, don't confuse those two things. Uh, Joey was trying to talk a second ago, I think. Uh, maybe we should give her the chance. Joey? Sorry, I can't remember. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> About Auswinden in, in some other sources. Because I remember uh, me searching through the Victor, Victor Noah, uh 
yeah, and looking for, for, for cases where they use Auswinden. And the only ones I found were the ones where they say, uh, Wind aus gestreckten Armen. So it, it looks like they mean, um, Wind aus, du auswinden, but they actually say, uh, wind, wind from stretched arms. But it looks like they use auswinden, but now I searched for Wilhelm and he does indeed say auswinden. <laughs> so my theory just sunk. But yes. the picture yeah. he's using is a picture from a disarm, so maybe he means. Yeah, but yeah, this is what I mean. Like, it's not that these terms don't ever yeah. appear, Rip it out of hands. but it's that they're used as kind of noun phrases in a in a descriptive way based on a specific circumstance, not as coherent terms to describe a single technical pat motor pattern. And every time they recur, they mean the same motor pattern. Like this is what Steve and I argue about Umschlagen again, isn't it? Wind out is just a thing that you're told to do. Wind from outstretched arms, or wind turn their point out of the out of the center position, or turn their sword out of their hands, or something like all of those are things you can be do by turning out. But they're all quite different things. They're not. It's not that turn outing is a single magical motor pattern, and every time that term is used, it always means the same thing. But that's the thing which Auswinden has become in Hema. All right. I'm going to suggest at this point that we wrap things up and have a second episode on Vinden with Jeff next week. <laughs> uh, does that work for everybody? Does anybody have a, a reply to T's very impassioned point of view? No, no, no we, we, need Jess Finley. Yep. we need Jess Finley to make any further headway. Yeah. Right. All right. She, I, I know that she has some interesting hunting stuff that has to do with Winden as well. Yeah. Tune in next time where we talk about what actually what winding actually is as opposed to what it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know right. Hema, we like to define ourselves by what we're not. Well, welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we hate on old interpretations. I've been your host, Mike Norwich, and joining us have been Johanna Hopgardner, Kendra Brown, Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. Thank you for listening.